on this episode. Lee Remick, gorgeous. Gorgeous Lee. She sits down and says, oh, darling, so good to see you here in Hollywood. And, and John said, darling, what are you doing over here? And, well, I'm auditioning, I guess, for my next movie, the part, the lead part. And, and John said, well, who would that be with, darling? And she started to say, Frank, and then walk Frank Sinatra. Wow. So Frank Sinatra sits down with Lee Rivick, John Solicitor, and I, just a schoolboy from UCLA, and I said, <laughs> this is heady. <laughs> Recorded live in the corner booth at the center of the Coachella Valley universe, this is Big Conversations Little Bar. Now, your hosts, Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Welcome to another episode of Big Conversations Little Bar, recorded live at the center of the Coachella Valley Universe, Skip Page's Little Bar in Palm Desert, California. I am one of your hosts. I'm Patrick Evans, and I'm joined by my regular, trusty, every week co-host, Randy Florence. I'm not as regular as I used to be. Well, I've heard that. But I'm really happy to be here. I'm getting older. Yeah. You know, we've had so many great guests, but I'm truly excited about today because rarely do we get to sit down with a true Hollywood icon and legend, and that is exactly what Michael Childers is and who Michael Childers is. But I've had the pleasure, uh, I can call Michael a friend. We've known each other for many years since I moved to the Coachella Valley, gosh, 20 years ago. And uh, it is just so fun to be able to sit down and just have some time to chat about you. And obviously, we're going to talk about One Night Only, but we're going to talk about a lot of different things. So I hope you're prepared to divulge your secrets and reveal stories that <laughs> perhaps you've never told before. Mm, I have half my clothes off on that one. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that we always like to do before we get into what everybody already knows about you is maybe a few things that they don't. So where were you born and raised? I was born in North Carolina as a service brat, like my friend Charlie, and that's why we're so screwed up. <laughs> Charlie, Charlie. Eight, 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 I was one of those. 18 different schools. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I escaped from uh, the East Coast, and uh, I, went, I ended up at UCLA in the swing in 60s, and was that a good thing? Get away from my parents, and the 60s were rock and roll, and uh, L.A. was happening then, and uh, it was perfect place. My whole career started there. I mean, I wouldn't have had a, a photography career. I don't think I would have had a film career if I hadn't been at UCLA with some exceptional people. And uh, it, was, it was pretty mind-blowing. And you were studying film. I was studying film. Don't tell my father. <laughs> I told him I was an accounting major. Although he gave you your first camera, right? He did. He did. He started. He brought her back from Japan, and I said, "What's this strange name? N I K O N. I never, <laughs> never seen this." So that started high school, doing high school photos of my friends at a UCLA, starting to take pictures of my friends who were rock and pop stars, and um, the Doors and Jim Morrison, the Mamas and the Papas. Who else was there? Wow. There was all sorts of. All sorts of people who became famous later. Were you in Southern California during the whole Laurel Canyon era oh, and all of that? Oh, yes. So yes, there I were some stories to tell um, around those days. I used to ride my bicycle backwards up Laurel Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> 
figure that out. <laughs> it's going to take me a minute on that one. I wasn't on B12. <laughs> so you're, you're at UCLA. It's the 60s. In L.A., it's perhaps kind of the golden era of L.A. It really was. You know, I mean, just you know, Joni Mitchell and um, the birds and Mama's Papa's, uh, Topanga Canyon. Um, the whole place smelled like pot and LSD. Every canyon. It, it, it still reek, does. Not much different, different than last well, week. It's sort of like Perez Road. <laughs> <laughs> it's Cathedral Sk- City. We call it Skank Boulevard now. <laughs> so... While you were a student studying film, and, and and L.A. is just going off, and as you say, you, you, you just rattled off a list of, of people who were kind of cutting their teeth who became superstars, yeah. uh, you know, probably hanging out at the Whiskey A Go-Go. And, and, mm. you know. Well, Ray Manzarek uh, called me up when I'd been doing some pictures with him, and he was also my cameraman. We, in film school, you change jobs every two weeks when you work on a different movie. He was great cameraman and then you do sound then you do lighting you do makeup you do editing so you know and i he was wonderful he was the brains behind the doors and made it happen he said this saturday night i think we're gonna hit the big time bring your camera whatever you can get and get down to the whiskey your name will be in the front door let's get some photos so I said this Saturday night. Mm, I think I have a date. Cancel the date real quick. <laughs> I went to photograph the doors. So. And so, and that was when. Oh yeah, they, they were just breaking. You know, was uh, this the famous show where Jim didn't face the audience the entire show? He had his back to the audience. No, 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 no? not this one. No, I had no. heard it of an event this like is that. When he wanted to be a star. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He had star quality. You just you look took one look at him and. It didn't matter whether he was stoned or just straight up. It was just, he had an intensity about him. And he was a poet and a writer. He was a damn good writer. And a good-looking guy. And a good-looking guy, yeah. And so, um, and Ray, Ray was the total brains behind the music and just making them all show up and get the work done. So through some contacts that you had at the film school, things started kind of branching out for you a little bit in terms of photography work. Yeah, I mean, they would ask me to do uh, headshots of them or, or PR things. Or um, I said, oh, gee, I hope I get an album cover someday out of this. Finally, I did it with Chad and Jeremy. Mm-hmm. We were hanging out at this house in Topanga Canyon with friends of mine. And they were they were huge at that time. You know, this is the time of the Beatles. And everybody, every plane coming over from, on British Airways was filled with all these pop people with this groovy flag leg. I mean, the Carnaby Street gear was so, you know, fur vest and then my peg leg pants. And I just loved it. I loved it. Loved it. You obviously have an eye for the style that was going on, but you just mentioned something about Jim Morrison and, and you said star quality, just the presence. And when you look back at the photos you've taken over the years, virtually every, every image captures that. How do you see that in someone? Well, I think star quality is a very elusive and rare thing. Maybe one in a million people has it. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm looking paying, around the table here. Paying, there are not a million of us here. you're paying $10,000 a week for your kid to go to stage school, save the money. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just, you, you know, Patrick, you see it too. And they, they walk in and you say, Oh my God! This is this is the real thing. She he really got it. They're gonna 
wipe everyone out. It's very, very rare thing. But you and, have this this magic. I, I spot it. I can spot it. Train as a photographer. I can watch people how they behave and where they're coming from, and if they have ma- inner magic and then uh, and then fire. If they have a fire inside of them. You got you got to have the energy. In the fire. Not every photographer. Very few can capture that. It feels like. I mean, I was looking back at some of. Uh, there was an iconic picture that you took of Groucho Marx in his oh, yeah. Mickey Mouse shirt. <laughs> and you said, I was reading that, you said he was in a, in a very good mood. And he was, and this was later in his life when you took that yeah, photo. Yeah, yeah, he was in his 80s. I, I think. Well, it, it said 85th birthday. I think it was 92. You raised a good point. May West said I'm 90. She was really 95. You know, so. That's okay. You know you're old when you're saying I'm 90 just so just people don't think it. you're really old. This is before Botox and all that <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh. I was always amazed when I, you know, I want to go back to this Groucho Marx picture, but uh, for obviously for years he wore a hairpiece, and you would oh, see yeah? him with it, and oh. then without it. And oh. it was remarkably different, but occasionally he would just show up in public without but it. Without it. Oh, God, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, yeah. well you know, you knew it with... Andy Warhol. <laughs> Half the time, the, the wig was crooked. Oh, talk about say, Andy, can we are, I want, do you mind if I just give fix a little job? Carol Channing was another. Hey, Carol, you're, the, all the bobby pins are showing. And you're, you're, you're on in for two minutes at the McCallum Theater. And she said, I'm on. I, I, can you just give the, the hair a little shove? And I shoved it down. And all the bobby pins went into her skull. And she started screaming. <laughs> And then Carol, she was on stage as she was Carol King. Not that far. <laughs> Talk about your relationship with Andy Warhol, because you did some really remarkable work with him. Oh, yeah. He was really a great weird weirdo. Give him a kiss. Spill. Spill. I love that. Because I love art, and I love hanging around artists. And uh, I didn't know he was going to become the most famous artist in the world. I would have stuck around and done more pictures <laughs> of him. <laughs> and um, they, the ones I've done become classics. They're in every museum in the world, and uh, on documentaries, and uh, Oh God! Big big shows at the Warhol Museum in Pittsburgh. There it was a documentary last year on HBO. Came out with a lot of my photographs, and one of the best books, in art books in years, by um, Blake Gopnik came out. He won the National Book Award for the World, and my pictures on the cover. Next, wow. it's fun, you know. How yeah. did you get to well, know David Hockney? David Hockney and uh, Andy Warhol. My, Big, big, biggest art thrills of all time. So, so how did you? How did that relationship start? How did you get to know Warhol and 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 then end up documenting so much of what he did? Well, we were in New York prepping Midnight Cowboy in 1968, and there was a scene. Half a paragraph in the book said a party in a loft, an artist loft, ensued in Greenwich Village. That was all. It didn't say what it was. I said, well, John, let's, let's, let's go. Let's do 
pull the rugs out. Let's go all the way. And this should be like one of Andy's parties down the village. And let's, he said, you're right, you're right. So I took him to some parties to see what goes on at these places. Whoa. (laughs) It was an eye opener, huh? You you took your partner, John. John Slendinger, the movie director. Yes. Well, I've got an eye full of this. Lots of (laughs) night. Then I took him to Max's Kansas City to have dinner with Andy and Paul Morrissey and um, Viva and Ultraviolet Joe Alessandro and uh, he says those are very colorful group here aren't they very <laughs> colorful <laughs> that's saying a I lot said, when you get surprised him they're in the bathroom so long John <laughs> as soon as they have to clean their syringes afterwards <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, yeah so we got a lot of those people to be in the movie and I'd say maybe 80% of them and we asked Paul Morris, who was in the movie. Uh, Viva had a big part to play, and so did Joe D'Alessandro. And then we had uh, we asked Andy to be in the movie, our movie, Midnight Cowboy. And he was hoping to do it, but I was in the makeup uh, testing room with the hair. We were doing Viva, who lives in Palm Springs, actually, didn't you know that? And uh, we were doing some hair tests, and uh, she was on the phone to Fred Hughes and Andy at the uh, the loft in New York, and and she, we heard this bang bang really loud, going, and she started screaming on the phone, Andy, Andy, and and she turned us and Andy's been shot, Andy's been shot, and th- that's when it happened. Oh that's my God! Happened right there, and um, she was white in the face and just shocked. And um, so Andy obviously was in no condition to be in our movie because we were filming like three, two weeks, three weeks later. He was in the hospital for nine months. Uh, wow. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's quite a story. Yeah, isn't that a good story? Yeah. Michael, Midnight Cowboy, that was your first movie out of school? First feature I ever worked on, yeah. And you were still in school. I'm still at UCLA. Yeah. Plugging along, you know. So talk about... And, I, you know, I had about six months left to, to graduate. And I thought, hmm And I thought, oh, Joe, I think, I think John's going to ask me to maybe work on the movie. I pray, I pray I want to work on the movie in New York. Move to New York and work on that. And then they upped the movie production schedule. It was starting in May. And I thought, oh, I'm not supposed to get out of school till June. So I said, you know, goodbye UCLA and hello New York. And best decision I ever made. I learned more working on a film, a real movie, like practical experience in that six months than I did five years of film school. Well, there's nothing Not like that I have anything to say against film school. Right. Yeah. There's nothing like it. Norma Shear once said at a dinner party uh, with George Cukor and uh, Joe Crawford. Darling, she said to me, turned to me, and what do you do, young man? And uh, <laughs> I thought, oh, terrified. <laughs> she said, I said, well, I go to film school, Miss Shear. You go to film school, George, Dickie George, have you ever heard anything so ridiculous? They go to film schools now. And he laughed and said, yes, darling, you catch up with the 20th century. <laughs> well, yeah, you might know that people do go to film school. And I turned to her and said, as a matter of fact, yesterday, your original director,
teenager who must have been 190, uh, <laughs> Ruben Mamoulian came to our class to show the original print of Romeo and Juliet that George Cukor directed. And, oh, it's one of my favorites. Oh, my. And I said, you know that shot, that tracking shot, how you came down the staircase and they didn't edit it. They didn't cut once and it went on for 10 minutes. The camera kept moving and they were so breathtaking in those close-ups. And she turned to everyone and said, this kid's keep him. Wow. <laughs> keep him. That's the best, best thrill I've had all year. Somebody talking about who knew what they were talking about. And George said, you did well, because they only want to talk about themselves these old days. So that was my evening with Norma Shear. All right. So you're doing this movie and you're doing it with, with your partner, John Slesinger. Mm-hmm. You had only been together for a brief time. A few months. Yeah. A few months. Mm-hmm. But talk about how you met John. I met John on a blind date um, to go meet him at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel, the Oak Bar. And uh, Kay Ballard, the TV actress, who lived here in Palm Desert for, for a long time. We oh, love Kay. Kay. There's a street named, you know, she was the very first person to sing commercial uh, commercial recording of Fly Me to the Moon. Fly Me, Fly Me, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's great. So um, they were close friends. And she called me out because I just photographed her for the cover of TV Guide. Because she was starring in the TV show. She went with Mothers in Law. Yeah. Yes. Produced by Desi Arnaz. So I went to, uh, she said, do you have a clean jacket, clean shirt? Yes, I do. Uh, okay. Well, go at <laughs> 6.30 tomorrow to the Opa to meet John Slesinger and, and, and watch your mouth and have happy manners. Okay. So, oh, thank you, Kay. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, the next day I get up and I pick up Time magazine, happened to read an article about John Slesinger that said he was often mercurial and difficult on the set. So I thought, oh, shit, he's going to be a nightmare, you know, could be a nightmare. So I called up an actor friend and said, come with me as protection. One kick under the table, you get the hell out. <laughs> two kicks means I'm staying. There's two kicks. He was charming, wonderful, intelligent, just just super. Yeah. And your friend remembered the code. You kicked him twice. And oh, yeah. He I, took I, off. I would have kicked him three times if he hadn't gotten <laughs> out of there. <laughs> And then in the walks uh, John's neighbor in London, is one of my favorite actresses of the 60s, so beautiful, called Lee Remick. Gorgeous. Gorgeous lady. She sits down and said, oh, darling, it's so good to see you here in Hollywood. And, and John said, darling, what are you doing over here? I'm, well, I'm auditioning, I guess, for my next movie, the part, the lead part. When John said, well, who would that be with, darling? And she started to say, Frank, and then walk Frank Sinatra. Wow. So Frank Sinatra sits down with Lee Rivick, John Slesinger, and I, just a schoolboy from UCLA, I said, <laughs> this is heady. <laughs> this is real. Yeah, it's great. So did so Frank joined the table and Frank and joined the table and tried to behave like a real human being. <laughs> <laughs> did, was he successful? <laughs> Frank is Frank. Yeah. Frank was Frank. He was, you know, he was a tough guy. Yeah. T- t- well, tough also, guy, talk you know? about a mercurial person. Oh, you never knew when the rattlesnake was coming out of the bag. You know? mm. it's, um, yeah. I remember Robert Wagner. I was staying with at, the, at this beautiful house over in the Mesa that they had in Natalie Wood. Oh, great. One weekend. I said, well, 
if you behave and you have a, a sport coat, you can come with us too. We're invited to Frank's for cocktails Saturday afternoon. And I go, oh boy, said, but you better behave and don't say anything unless he asks you a question. Don't say a thing. Because he's like a cobra out of the basket. You know? <laughs> so we went over to Frank Sinatra's and he was, because he loved Natalie, uh, and he was charming and nice and put, put on Mr. Nice. So you so caught him on a Mr. good nice night there. Glow. Yeah. How often did you catch him not on a good night? <laughs> Never again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barbara Sinatra was a great friend of mine the last few years of her life. Adored her. She's a great lady. Smart. And uh, just, uh, I'd love, uh, no bullshit. She just, she knew every story about every showbiz thing. And I love, she loved martinis. Most of all, and a very exotic martini made with jalapenos and hot chili peppers. And she would, I mean, three jalapeno martinis later, you know, the, the stories would start coming out about, <laughs> you know, the, the teamsters and the mobsters and all this stuff. Great stories. I can't repeat any of them. I'd be 10 feet under the river in the Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> the Salton Sea. Salton Sea. So you had a, a better relationship with Barbara than, than you ever did with Frank? I had no relationship no, no with Frank. I didn't want to photograph him. I did. Uh, he scared the <laughs> he scared the shoot out of me. Was, all right, so, well, let me let me drill down on that for a minute. So there were an awful lot of people that you did want to photograph, and most of them you had the opportunity. There were you didn't want you did not want to photograph Frank because no, no, the mercurial difficult one. I did, never wanted to photograph Steve McQueen. I spent some afternoons there with uh, uh, Steve McQueen. Alan McGraw. Alan McGraw, yeah. yes. And he could be really nasty. Really oh, nasty. Yeah? yeah? Yeah. And love to beat up women. I just said, mm. everything I don't like. No. no. So I said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't send him to read. Were photograph. there people that you refused to photograph? I mean, there certainly oh, there yeah. were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I assume that Steve never asked, but... No, he didn't, but just in case I thought I'd nip that in the bag. <laughs> You're not on the list, Diane pal. Cannon, she's so crazy. Diane yeah. Cannon. Diane Cannon, you're crazy. She's had some crazy moments. Oh, man. Oh, no. Who else did you refuse to, that you could tell us? Well, who did I turn down? The, uh, well, I did. Uh, Raquel Welch. But she kept calling me up to hire me after she'd fired. She forgot that she'd fired me on a movie. So I reminded her PR man that she had me fired off a movie, which I was not happy about. And then he calls back and said, there was a total misunderstanding. It had nothing to do with you. It was just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and she really wants you to do her new Las Vegas show with Bob Mackey at the Caesars Palace. Brand new show. And then said, okay, how much? I said, I said Call me, call me next week. <laughs> call me, call my agent. That's not enough. No. Finally, they tripled it, and I said, okay. So you, so, you, so, and you just to make sure she watches her tongue, and I didn't want to be screamed at. And, uh, and was she on her best behavior? She was. She was. She was real pro. We got some great photographs. Mackie was happy. And, um, and Bob Mackey lives out here now. He does. I love it. Do you guys cross paths? I just spoke to him. He's in Provincetown for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. I love Bob Mackey. He yeah. is one of the nicest. Nicest, brilliant, the char I, charming. I was at a show at the Purple Room 
Mm. Uh, Billy Stritch from New York was playing. He's so good. Billy, oh, Billy's it. the lead in my show. <laughs> oh. Met one night only. Billy's? Yeah, he's back. I adore Billy yeah, Stritch. he's the best. Uh, he's the king of New York now. Yeah. yeah. Oh. No, the Carlisle. Yes, yeah, he plays yeah. the Carlisle. Yeah, he's... He, uh, He's an incredible piano player and singer. If you don't know, about oh, well, he's him. a legend. He's legend a legend. In New York. And, but I was waiting in line to say hi to Billy Stritch after he performed at the Purple Room, and Bob Mackey was standing right behind me. And Bob, and we walked up to Billy, and I'm talking to Billy, and Bob said, "Oh, I watched Billy on your show. And by the way, Patrick, I watch you every morning. I really <laughs> enjoy you." And so, like, I'm pinching myself. It's Bob Mackey. <laughs> he didn't say how nice my suit was, so I guess, but there was that, or but, that he couldn't change the channel <laughs> on his TV. But no, he's such a. He's a. No. I'm. Ex- let's talk about one night only. Let's just move into that. Jump around about- 50, 60 years. <laughs> <laughs> this is the. Uh, Charlie, sorry to wake you. Um, <laughs> 17 years. 17 years. A glorious years. Um, it's my sidekick. I know. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Can you imagine? I just started this 17 years ago here. Just I never thought it would go on and on. I said, we'll be lucky if we get two or three years out of it. Wow. It just builds and builds. It's gotten better the last two or three years than ever. I think this, this year's going to be killer. So it's, aside uh, from Billy Hood. Viva Las Vegas is a theme. It's the golden age of Vegas from 1950 to 1970. That's the, the period of music that I love from Vegas. You know, all the great bands that they had then, singers and Billy Holiday. And, uh, oh, just the best. You know? I so, want to go back a little bit, if we can, to the photographs. Uh, the iconic photographs that, that you're responsible for. The Andy Warhol photograph. Um, Gore Vidal, mm-hmm. you took the last photograph the last of photograph. him alive, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Tell he, me he that story. Died about a month later. Um, that was a funny session. Um, sort of tragic. I'd known him for 30, 40 years. Difficult man. Never, cold as ice. And I thought, oh. But I, I really wanted to see him uh, one last time. He was dying. I went up to this great house he had on uh, Hollywood Hills, and, um, and he said, be there at 10.30, guys. So we went up there with the assistants, started unloading equipment. I go into the house, and I see this very old man I'm just with towels around him, and the m- makeup girl was getting, cutting his hair and giving him a shave and all this, and he looks through there. Yeah, Michael, you're beautiful, but this... Have a, have, a, have a vodka tonic. It's 10, 10 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're going to be Bloody Mary. And I said, no, but a coffee would be great. And Ernie, Ernie was the butler. Ernie, get them some coffee. If they want coffee, I'll have another, I'll have another vodka. It's fine. Ernie, Ernie gets it. And then we get Gore up to do the photo session. And we start in the living room. And he starts talking about... His partner of uh, 45 years, who was a good friend of mine, uh, Howard. Uh, it was a pretty good, interesting session. He said, no, don't leave. I want you to go out to the patio. I've just built this new copy of the portico that uh, we had in Italy, in our beautiful his house in Italy. Beautiful, beautiful. Just studied in Ravello. Uh, so he built the port. port, port Portal, what do you call it? The portico. Yeah. Um, 
out there and said, well, let's photograph there. Yes, we'll come. I'll go out there. Ernie, Ernie, uh, could I have some more? Could I have some red wine? Uh, certainly, Mr. Vidal. And he brings out the red wine. And, and, of course, just, just pour it in the vodka. <laughs> that was his idea of a Bloody Mary. <laughs> Top tip with vodka. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's all going to end up the same place. <laughs> oh and he was dead so, a month later. Man, he was sailing, <laughs> sailing. He went out the portico. And uh, he, the stories started coming out. And he started crying. It was really very moving. And um, he ended up just saying goodbye 40 years of friendship and gave me a hug and he's crying so that was my goodbye to Cora very moving and he's crying in the photograph and it's on my wall yeah you look at the pictures um that you've taken with a lot of these people and, and you're not just taking a photograph you, there's there's souls coming out in this picture are you conscious of getting something deeper from one of the people that you're photographing than just a picture? Well, you want to get that eventually. You know, you've got to go for something real. Real feeling, real emotion. It's hard to with Raquel. <laughs> There's a few really deep thinkers like Cheryl Ladd. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. One of the great intellects of our time. Uh, yeah, or, or Paul, she went under the Supreme Paul, Court, didn't Paul, she? Paul Lind. <laughs> something real. Did uh, you photograph Paul? Of course. Yeah. I love Chip. I love Paul. I thought he was just, so, I mean. So funny what, and wicked. Singularly, singular way. Wicked, yeah. But uh, you know, you've tried to get something real out of these people. Are there any photographs that did not become as iconic that are personal favorites of yours? Oh, yeah. It's hundreds, hundreds. But what makes a photograph iconic? I don't know quite. It's a photograph that's been reprinted over and over in magazines and books. You keep seeing it, and the public sees it every two or three years and uh, of a famous person. Not going to be a non-famous person. Um, it's just a photograph that says something about that person. Yeah. Do you have a favorite subject that you photographed over the years? Favorite subject? Yeah. Natalie Wood was my first star. She was just great, you know. And I met her very early on. She was my first, very first movie star, friend of John's. And I photographed her little baby, and just she loved the pictures. Said, "Yeah, you're pretty good. I'd love for you to come on the movie set and take some pictures of me." I said, "Oh, that would be wonderful!" And it made my career. So the next thing, I was at working for Life magazine and Look magazine, taking beautiful pictures of Natalie Wood, who was the nicest and the prettiest and most sexy. Just adored her. We were. I did all almost all her pictures until she died. You know? When you set up um, a picture uh, and, and you're thinking of the things that are the, the landscape, any props that are going to be in the picture, is this something that you've come up with before you get the person in front of your yeah, camera? Yeah, you, you got to do your research, you know. So the Anne-Margaret picture. All the good pho photographers, I know, do the research, you know, Greg Gorman, Herbert, 
They, 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 start, they cut things out of magazines. They mark things. They have notebooks. They write down shot one, shot two, shot three. Uh, props they're going to need, whatever. You created a notebook for prior to photographing. You know, yeah, a lot of, a lot yeah. Of, if, I, if I need research. You know, Who was your least favorite that you ended up taking a picture of, if we haven't already mentioned them? You mentioned her. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, 95% of the people I photograph are just wonderful because they want a good picture. I want a good picture. If they behave, they're going to get a good picture. So. <laughs> <laughs> they might even get two pictures. You did an awful lot of work uh, after uh, Midnight Cowboy. It kind of propelled you in that direction where you were on movie sets taking a lot of pictures. I was suddenly on every movie set in the world for 15 years. Which is very different than the portraitures. No, yeah, because I had had studios in uh, Hollywood. I had a studio in New York. and um, Those were fat city days. They they actually paid you. You got got real money for that. They're so cheap now. Oh, my God. Disney paid you more in the 1960s than they do now. I mean, they're so cheap. So when you do that, you would be you'd be basically on set for a lot I'd, of... The- I'd go on for three days. I'd go on for a week. Or they'd say, fly to Egypt and photograph a movie star. Fly to Bali and do Julia Roberts. They'd say, fly to uh, Paris and do Sylvie Vartan, a big French star. And I love working with the French French stars. So to be in Paris with those French assistants and great lunches, red wine until three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh my God! It's a good lunch. I, that's I, a good lunch. That's early lunch. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, meteorologist type Paris, of lunch. Right now. In Paris, you work. You go back to work at three o'clock after you had consumed two bottles of wine, and then you you work till eight o'clock at night or eight thirty, and then you go out and have dinner and have four bottles of red. I I read about something that I'd like to hear you describe. Contact yoga for couples. Was that something that you were actually doing for a while? Uh, I did a book on um, what what, doubles yoga, contact yoga. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, a nude nude book of men and women doing yoga. Yoga poses. No no frontal stuff. It's rather beautiful. That had to be like pretty fascinating. Like a ballet. Yeah, it's good. And that was just a one-time... Yeah. Nobody yeah. asked you to make a movie out of it no, or anything like no, that. No, 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 well, no. Let's talk about the movie that you were just you were just in. Oh, um, my friend Oscar. This That was such fun. Yeah. Um, can't believe a director called me up and asked me to act in a movie. <laughs> I hadn't been in a movie since silent movies, you know. <laughs> uh, it was great. And... Uh, uh, it's terrifying because I had, had lines and, and speak and improvise a lot. And I played a famous photographer from the 1860s, 1870s, sort of the Richard Avedon of New York of that period, who was a great friend of Oscar Wilde. So Oscar comes to my studio and uh, is photographed. I mean, we've got all, Charlie and I got all these great props from the 19th century cameras that weighed about 800 pounds each, you know. <laughs> and uh, it was really fun working with period backdrops and, uh, and uh, 19th century cloth thing. It was really, really cool. You still so have the wardrobe? 
Uh, no, we had to mail it back to them in the costume. What a shame. What, 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 I didn't know. It all went back. It all went back. You know. um, it's really great. So, it, but, uh, it's coming out in the spring, but, but we hope it's going to be in the Palm Springs Film Festival. Um, yeah. Would you do it again? Would I act? I'm so available. <laughs> 100% available. Char- Charlie Dyer at 760. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were, you were going to film school, but you had, you had already fallen in love with still photography. Yeah, yeah, it's always with me. And so was there ever a point where you kind of said, no, I'm definitely going to, or did it just, did it just kind of materialize? Was there a plan B? Is, plan is that B? That's what I'm looking for, yeah. Uh, my life was an interesting journey. It was, I don't think I had any plans. I just went with the flow, with the work, and the excitement of creative. You know. I've had a life, so I have certain gratitude. I really do. Mm-hmm. Well, and you had, to, I mean, obviously your time. Uh, and I lived all over the world, and I, you know, I worked on. Uh, I worked on 125 movies, doing the posters or album covers, and. Um, I it, wish I'd done more album covers. I'd really miss the rock and roll people. Yeah? Because they were so crazy. Just really good. You worked my, on almost all of John's my, films. My voice is starting to go, so I'd like to wrap it up. Do mm. oh. you mind? Not at all. I just, I'm getting raspy. Here. Not a problem at all. We've had you up here for a long time yeah, today. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank good. you so Great. much for being here. Got it? Yeah. Well, we've just sort of scratched the surface. I'm afraid. Yeah, so I, we're we going to have to have you back. I'll be back. We'll have to talk about Bette Midler at some point in your relationship Ooh, with her. Really great. Yeah. And about the May West when I went to her house for a seance. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to all of those stories. Let's go back really quickly before we get done. One night only. You mentioned Billy Stritch. Who else is coming? We've got Debbie Boone. Oh. Yes. Purple Room. Uh, oh, we have wonderful people. Chris Martin, a fantastic singer from American Idol. We have... Um, Clint Holmes from Vegas. Clint I love, Holmes. love Clint. He's such a great guy. You know? And we've got uh, oh, just great Broadway and pop singers. You know? And you've been doing this for 17 years now. Yeah, this year- I actually did it for 20 years because <laughs> I did it three years in Santa Fe. Uh, for uh, <laughs> the AIDS journey there. Uh, this is taking place at the McCallum. It's November the 8th. 8th, yeah. And it benefits... Barbara Sinatra Children's Center. Great organization. Yes, it is. Tickets went on sale September the 6th. So, so. you got to get your tickets. It's always a great show. Of course, you know, they tapped you because... Uh, and this is the thing I heard. When I first moved to Palm Springs and, and met you, they said, this gentleman has the best and the largest Rolodex in the valley. The man with the golden Rolodex. That's you. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, yeah. and that's why these uh, shows are so I like, spectacular. I like using these people. And they're <laughs> wonderful people. You and I, we love musicians. And I, the music people and singers and the trumpet player. I mean, I'm just, well, it's, I will, it's so exciting. I've been very lucky to be uh, invited Every year to one night only, but also to the cast party. And for oh, me, we give the best cast party. In it's uh, it, it is just unbelievable to walk around, just to wander around that cast party I and bet. bump it is into so people. So star studded, oh, and the cast sits around the piano, gets slowly pissed and drunk, and they start singing all these great Broadway songs, usually with uh, Billy Stritch playing or Anne Hampton Calloway, and it's so much fun. It's fun for the the, the crowd, the local crowd. 
That's the party of the year. It is the party of the year. Palm Springs Life said it's the party of the year. It's one of those where you just kind of pinch yourself. I can't believe I'm in this room. Yeah, and I, and this yeah. is happening, and I get and to be a part of it. Just try and buy your way out. There's not enough money left in Union Bank. Oh, they're out of business. Hey, listen, I can't believe we're sitting across the table from Michael Childers. So this has been a pretty good hour. Well, this has been remarkable, Michael. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your stories. And I know, as I said, you've got so many great stories. We'll dig into some more. Soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Mike. Thank you all for listening to us here at the uh, Big Conversations Little Bar. We're at Little Bar, and uh, today's guest, just remarkable, Michael Childers. Randy, thank you so much, and thank you to John McMullen and uh, John's partner, who had so much to do with helping us wrangle Michael on in here. (laughs) Keep smiling, Charlie. We appreciate the help. (laughs) All right, guys, we'll be back again with another episode of Big Conversations Little Bar. Thank you for joining us for Big Conversations, Little Bar, with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Hear our entire library of episodes from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or most major podcast portals. This podcast is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System.